Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. We are back in our Luke series. How many of you guys remember that we've been in a Luke series? Like, this is going to show me who's been around for, like, a year, because it's been, like, that long since we've been in Luke. Um, For those of you who don't know, um, we tend to approach the teaching of Saints Hill in two ways. Uh, we typically are in a book of the, of the Bible that's kind of an ongoing series, almost running in the background of the church. Um, and we take breaks from that series, from our book of the Bible series, uh, every now and then to get a little bit more topical around things such as like the Holy Spirit, you know, when we did the Holy Spirit series or, um, or Advent, uh, or we did a sexuality series. We kind of take breaks from the book that we're in to do Um, uh, you know, just different topical messages and that sort of thing. Now, the plan for the summer is to stay in Luke. So, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin, I feel like this is like Saints Hill Summer Begins Now. Uh, Luke 8 is where we're going to be. Let's go ahead and turn there. And we're going to be in verse 19, Luke 8, verse 19. And once you're there, go ahead and stand for the reading of Scripture. Luke 8, verse 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. This is the word of the Lord. You can grab a, grab a seat. Now, to catch us up to speed of what's kind of been going on in the Gospels up to this point, Jesus is at the height of his popularity when this moment happens. He's incredibly popular. And you have to imagine what it would be like to encounter Jesus as a first century Jew. You have no health care, and so you have disease that runs rampant throughout your uh, village or throughout your city. You are an occupied people group. In other words, there's a uh, group of the Romans at this point is occupying your country, telling you how you can live, what you have to do, totally dominating you unjustly. And all of a sudden, here comes the creator. Jesus, healing, forgiving, teaching the way of life. So he is popular. Crowds of people go to wherever he's at. In fact, crowds of people try to find out where he's going and try to get there before him. And you have to imagine that his family, you know, Jesus had a mom Jesus had siblings, he had a dad. You have to imagine that his family is sort of like, okay, um, this is getting a bit more traction than we originally thought. <laughs> he's a little, he's, he's, he's viral, it would be our words for it. 
And so they go to look for him. They're like, we need to see him. And the text doesn't say, but you could imagine that they are sort of like, has this guy gotten a little too big for his britches? And Jesus turns this into a teaching moment. His mother, his brothers show up. His disciples say, hey, look, you know, we know you're with the crowds, but little VIPs over here, we got your mother and your brothers, they want to talk to you. Can, can we get you away from the crowd so that you can speak to them? And, and what is his teaching? He says this, anyone who does what I say can be my family. Anyone who does what God says can be a part of my family. Now, this is of some interest to me because there are some who say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. There's no recorded moment where Jesus said, I am Yahweh, right? But here's the thing. He did just, get, he did just finish teaching a bunch of teachings. And then he said, if you hear these teachings and you obey them, it's like you're hearing God's word and obeying God's words. And it's one of the few times that we really see Jesus play on his popularity. If you want to be close to me, hey, look, there's a bunch of crowds of people. There's a bunch of people who want to be close to me. If you want to be close to me, don't just listen to what I'm saying, but actually do what I'm saying, and then you will be family with me. Now, when I read this, I really was kind of puzzled, like, what am I going to teach on? It's so self-explanatory. And then I realized, you know, there is a little bit of a tension biblically here. Because I thought that you became family with Jesus by being born again. I thought that you became family with Jesus by believing in God, trusting in Jesus' sacrifice, putting a stop to self-justifying, you know, Romans Road type salvation, Right? But here he's like, if you want to be my family, you need to do what God says to do. Now, I don't think these two things are opposed, and I want to clear this up. I just think that you're going to know a tree by its fruit. So disciples are not disciples in mind only. We don't just hear what God says, and we go, I agree with that. That's not repentance. That's not sitting under the teaching of Jesus. A disciple is somebody who hears what God says and goes, this is confronting all of this in here. I must change what I believe and then what I do. See, this message is about becoming the real deal, a real deal disciple. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is it's about becoming someone whose actions are in congruence with their professed beliefs. I'm going to say that one more time. The real deal disciple is someone whose actions, the way that they show up in the world, the way that they live is in congruence with what they say they believe. That's the real deal. Disciple, now in a word, it's just integrity. That's what integrity is, right? Now, what's disturbing, especially to me about this passage, is that Jesus doesn't do what I'm about to do. He doesn't wax eloquently about what this could mean. What does it mean to hear and obey? What are the motivations in the heart that would cause you to not hear and obey? He just says it. You want to be my, bro my mother? You want to be my brother? You need to listen to what God says and you need to do it. He doesn't go, well, what was your past like? And what kind of trauma are you working through? And is there a reason why, you know, is, is there a reason why maybe you have a hard time hearing and obeying? Are you triggered by me? You must be triggered by me. He just says, you want to be my mother? You want to be my brother? You need to hear what I say and do it. Those are the people who belong to my family, those who are obedient. 
to God. He says it, and it's so disturbing to me because he says it as though it were simple or possibly as though it were even easy to do. But it isn't easy, is it? In fact, for many of us in the room who have been disciples for a time, you have experienced the dissonance of hearing one thing from the scriptures, sometimes spoken to you at church or in your own time of reading. You have experienced the dissonance of hearing one thing at church and then going home, or maybe even on the way home, doing another and it is especially disturbing when you were the one who taught the Bible that day. Let me just say that, okay? As my wife can attest. I mean, this is a lot of accountability right here. Uh, so all week long, I have been thinking about this one question when it comes to this passage. Why do disciples not do what God tells them to do? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Why do disciples hear what God would have us do and then we don't do it? When the Bible is opened and we read about money or we read about lust or we read about praying for somebody's healing or we read about the fruit of the Spirit, why does there so often seem to be a gap between what we have heard and then what we do? And I really feel like God is speaking to me on this. This is like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to preach to myself for the next like 30 minutes. I don't know. Maybe you will find that you're getting preached to as well, okay? Because this is a message for me. I'm not standing here in judgment over anyone. I was dissecting my heart this week. Why do I hear truth and not do it? Okay? So I came up with three reasons Three reasons why I do not, why I hear the truth and don't do it. Maybe you'll find that God's speaking to you as well this morning. The first reason is the misunderstood gospel. I've misunderstood the gospel. Look, guys, the gospel is not that God has an amazing life for you, so you should discover your purpose in it. You should take a Christian, you know, personality test you should deal with your past and then you should live a good life because of the cross. If you have believed that that is the gospel, you have believed a half gospel at best. The very first recorded words of Jesus in Mark are these words, repent. Repent and believe for the kingdom is at hand. The gospel, if it's anything, at the very first point, it's this. You need to repent. You are wrong. There are things in your life that are off. You need to give them up. And then believe because the kingdom is at hand. See, the reason why this is of a concern for me is that we are witnessing a mass exodus of Christians from the church. How many of you guys know that? Statistically, we are witnessing a mass exodus of Christians from the church on a cultural level in the West. But here's my question, you know, as I see that, my question is this, did they ever really know him? Did they ever really die? Or did they simply agree with what they had heard, but only to a point until it became culturally inconvenient? Look, I think there are many disillusioned ex-Christians because they were never told the real gospel. 
They were never told to repent. They were simply told, God has a wonderful life for you. How many of you guys know God does have a wonderful life for you on his terms? But they're on his terms, so you have to repent. You were building your whole, your own life. And Jesus doesn't come to add to your building. He comes to tear your building down and start from the ground. So you have to repent. They were never told this. And so they never accessed the absolute power of God in their weakness. See, in the West, because the church has used the metaphor of organization and we've taken cues from the business and leadership guru world, churches have been primarily concerned with maintaining a steady stream of people or pleasing the donors of the church. And so the church has softened the offensive nature of the gospel and preached love without repentance. I've done that before. Let me just confess to you. Maybe this is kind of awkward. You're like, him? Yes, me. I have done that. I've felt the pressure in a town like ours to try my best to put a positive spin on everything. And I have found myself even reading Jesus and being like, I don't even know if I could just read that out loud at my church. And I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm sorry. I have felt the fear of preaching repentance and I have made a decision over the past probably couple months that I refuse to bow to that fear any longer. And here's why. It's not like, oh good, there's some people who preach the gospel of repentance and then there's those false preachers. I'm not even getting into that paradigm. I'm just saying the reason why preaching repentance matters is because that's where the power is. There is no power in a repentanceless gospel. The only place that a repentanceless gospel resonates is a place with great material wealth where people aren't going through difficulty. But when it's really tested, when you really go through pain, when you really go through trial and you don't know how to repent, whatever, you, whatever gospel you've constructed will crumble before you. Repentance is where the power is. People are not okay. People are not enough. Many people in our culture and even believers are wallowing in misery and sin and the mental illness is evidence of it. So you need to repent. You need to change your beliefs. You need to change your habits. You need to change your life and believe the words of Christ and trust God. Many, you know, they've walked away from faith thinking that they were rejecting all that the gospel of Jesus had to offer, but they never actually experienced the power of God because they never repented. So they're walking away from a half gospel. It's like, no, there's more. You, we just have to offend you first. No, there's more. You just have to get offended first. And then you're going to find, you're going to find the good stuff. Jesus didn't come to make your life awesome. He came to kill your ways of producing life apart from him so that you would need him. See, he's like, how's it going not needing me? <laughs> how's it going me just being one of the many different, you know, pieces of content that you've added to your life? How's it going? Not good? Oh, you're not bearing my fruit? Oh, it's because I have to kill all of the other ways in your life that you have found significance and purpose and meaning before you really taste this. 
See, we, the church, you know, um, we don't understand this because we don't understand the fear of the Lord. And I believe that, that God is reintroducing the fear of the Lord into his church. See, you know, this passage, I read this passage and I instantly kind of um, thought about another passage. It's, it's an awful lot, a lot, uh, awful lot like the moment when Moses says to the Israelites, when they've come out of Egypt, here's what he says to them. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. No, the word is very near you. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Okay, there we go. Uh, it is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today, here's the command, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But, pay attention to this, if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. It's kind of similar, right? It's you have a choice. You can choose to listen and obey God and you will choose life. Or you can choose to not listen to him and not obey him and you will choose death. And this should be the churches, this should be our message to the world, our message to ourselves. It's life or death. It's that serious. It's not just that you get to obey God sometimes and if you do, you're gonna feel good about yourself as a believer. No, it's life or death. It's obey him and live, it's disobey him and destruction is surely coming. You know, we're teaching my daughter this. Um, my counselor, she told me, I was explaining to her, like, we're having the hardest time with Georgie. Sorry, I'm gonna have to apologize to her about this when she understands someday that I used her in, you know, as an example in a sermon. But this is just reality. We're having a very, very difficult time uh, getting her to listen and obey the first time. The first time. Not the second time, not the third time, the first time. And so I told my counselor this. I said, you know, we're just really struggling. And she's like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, we tell her, you know, you need to listen and obey or else there's gonna be a correction coming. There's gonna be some kind of discipline coming. And she goes, oh, that's interesting. That's not how God leads you in your choices. I was like, oh, really? Well, what do you mean? She said, God puts before you life and he puts before you death. You're just putting before her death. So you, with every decision, that you give her to make, you have to say, you get to choose life. And life means you get a cookie. You listen and you obey and you get a cookie. You disobey and you don't listen and you're going to not only not get a cookie, you're gonna have a toy taken away. It's life and it's, trust me, death. Okay? So we've been doing this with her. And guess what? it really, really works. Because you take just a couple toys away and her world falls apart, <laughs> okay? So you go, okay, well, here's how powerful you are. You are such a powerful person that you're, it's your choice. It's not my choice. I'm not gonna choose to take a toy away from you. I'm not gonna choose to even give you a cookie. It's your choice. There's a reward, it's life, and there's a consequence, it's death. What will you choose? And it's just been incredible. 
this is what God does to you as well. It's your choice. That's how powerful you are. That's how, that's how, uh, how much power God gave his creation. You get to choose. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? Are you going to obey him or are you going to disobey him? And the fear of the Lord is this. The fear of the Lord is this. I am afraid to not choose you. I am afraid of what not choosing you will mean for my life. That's the fear of the Lord. It isn't that we're scared of God. In fact, one of the first times we uh, ever see the fear of the Lord mentioned, here's the, here's the paradigm that it, Israel is given. When the people saw the thunder, this is at Sinai, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Do you see the paradigm? Don't be afraid so that the fear of God is with you. Think about that. You don't need to be afraid of God, but you need to have the fear of not being with God. Because the fear of not being with God, what does it do? And it's so powerful. It will keep you from sinning. I heard this story once of a, of a um, very well-known kind of televangelist guy in the 80s who had, you know, he had, he had this massive ministry and he had this spectacular fall from grace. He uh, had an affair. He was embezzling money through his ministry, you know, all of the typical things, right? And he, he ended up actually going to prison for the embezzlement part of things. And when he was in prison, he, he reached out to another Christian, kind of famous Christian author who had written a book on the fear of God. And he said, I need to talk with you. I need to meet with you. Will you come visit me in prison? So this author goes and visits, you know, this televangelist in prison. And, you know, the, the author says, you know, why did you do all that you did? Why did you cheat on your wife? Why did you embezzle all this money? You know, didn't you love God? And he said, oh, I loved God. He's like, I, I loved, I still love God but I didn't fear him. I had no fear of the Lord in my life. I had no sense of urgency of I better not because I wanna be with him. What keeps us from hearing and doing? Thinking that we're in charge. Not repenting, living our own life. What keeps you hearing and doing? The fear of the Lord. See, if the gospel message you have believed simply adds to your life, then you may not need God that much. He's optional. But if you really died with Christ, if you said, I am so over my old life that I must die in order to be with you, then you will live with the fear of the Lord and hearing and doing will come naturally. Second reason, you know, if we lack uh, this understanding of the gospel, if we lack understanding that we are called to repent, to have the fear of the Lord, then we can be lulled into what I call neutral living. Neutral living. Let me ask you this question. What is the opposite of the fear of the Lord? What's the opposite of the fear of the Lord? That's the fear of people. It is placing too high a focus on what people, mortals think, rather than on what God thinks. 
And when this happens, when you begin to live your Christian life that way, constantly aware of what other people are thinking, what other people's opinions of your faith might be, what other people's opinions of your life might be, then you will become what I call a Christian libertarian. Do you know what a Christian libertarian is? It's the person who says, you do you and I'll do me. Like you do you. I would hate to impose my beliefs on you. I am so sorry if I offended you by what I think. You do you, I'll I'll do me. We, we We can be neutral. The subconscious belief of this person is that life is neutral that we don't live in the middle of a great cosmic battle between good and evil or truth and lies, but that it's all neutral. Everybody, the pluralistic society, everybody can believe what they want to believe and we can all kind of coexist together. When you believe that, when you think that way, here's what happens. Your primary reason for church becomes social rather than spiritual. When you believe that it's all neutral and it's just, hey, they're doing them, that's great, I'm doing me, then the reason why you come to church is for friendships with good people. It becomes networking, it becomes optional. And you wonder, you know, you look, to, you, you look across like the United States uh, over our kind of the season of COVID and you're like, why are so many churches agreeing that they're non-essential? Because they're just there for social needs. They're not there for spiritual needs. So if it's just social, eh, so what? We live in a neutral world. Let's all be nice and get along. I just want to say this. We do not live in a neutral world. We are not neutral. Christians believe the Bible is God's word. That means, and just wait for your skin to crawl. Here it comes. That means that we believe marriage is very specifically between a man and a woman. We believe that, I don't need any woos, by the way, because for some people it is actually, this is triggering and sensitive, and I want them to hear the truth. So we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. We believe that sex belongs inside of a marriage. We believe, as Christians, that, the ch- that children, our children, are not the state's responsibility. They're not the public school's responsibility. They are given to parents by God. God has given children to parents in his will for them to cherish and then leverage for his purposes. We believe that God determines the gender of his creation. We believe that abortion is wrong. Now, let me ask you this. Do you feel that? Does that feel very neutral to you? See, the reason why I just seem so extreme is because our world is not neutral on these issues. So we cannot be neutral on these issues. We exist in a stream of culture that has opposing and antagonistic beliefs to what God says. Not what I think, not what I preach, but what the Bible says, okay? And if you knew the hatred and the anger and the war for truth that is happening around you, you might think you need this more than for social reasons. You might actually see the church as the bride on the move against sin, evil, and lies. Here's what I'm saying. If you listen and obey God, you will become like a brother and a sister to Christ, maybe even a mother to Christ. But it will cost you dearly. 
the cost is coming. Let me prepare you, Saints Hill Church. The cost is coming. And I think there are some who you have, maybe you're even in the room right now, you've, you come to church and you are okay with hearing, but doing just costs way too much. We wanna be Christian libertarians because we value the absence of conflict far too much. You know, Jesus promised us conflict. He promised us hatred. It's like such a sales pitch. Come follow me. People are gonna hate you for it. You're like, dang, it's quite a sales pitch. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. That's a neutral worldview. That's, we don't, that's not our worldview. We, we've sanctified that by being like, hey, we're all at peace. So I guess that's what, that's what God was talking about when he said he wants peace for us. No. Real peace is the presence of a person, not the absence of conflict. And that presence of a person, you know what he said? He said, I came to divide. I came with a sword to divide. So if you're going to hear Jesus and you're going to do Jesus, you will have to make peace with a non-neutral world and the cost of being a disciple culturally, economically, relationally. I recently had a, had a meeting with somebody from the church, a, a, a young guy from the church, who uh, his work is requiring that he puts his pronouns in his email signatures. And he was really torn up about it. Like, what do I do? My work wants me to do this. What should I do? Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking, Alex, why is this a big deal? They're your pronouns, aren't they? So just put them in the email signature. Why do you have to make this? Why are your Christians always so sensitive? Here's why this is a problem. Because what his work is asking him to do is to buy into a whole religious worldview where we are not determined by the will of God to be what we are, but we get to be God and determine what we are. It's demonic thinking. It's Babel, build a name type thinking. And it is a religious worldview to believe that humans are capable of changing what God determined and God decided. There's really not a, a, a split in our country between right and left. There's a split in our country right now between those who believe in God in his way and those who do not believe in God. And so they believe in their way. It's Babel or God, the choice is set before you. So for him to put his pronouns in his email signature is to consent to another religion entirely. Now look, many of you are gonna face this, by the way. This is coming for you. If it hasn't touched you already, it's coming for you. And so I wanna say this. I wanna tell you what I told him. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I really don't know what to do. I don't know what hills to die on. You know, wisdom's been said is knowing what, wisdom is knowing what hills to die on and what hills to just not die on. I don't know if this is a hill that he is like, I'm gonna fight this and I'm not gonna do this. I will not consent. You have examples in the Old Testament of people saying, hey, God, I'm, gonna, I'm about to go bow down to this idol over here, but just know I don't mean it. And God's like, okay. So, I don't know what to do, but I wanna pray for you that you would be innocent as doves and wise as serpents among this wicked generation. Because that's what it is, you know, we don't, I, I, I've recently heard some, uh, a, a friend of mine say, we need to use Bible words for uh, Bible things. Like words like fornication and adultery. 
We need to actually use words that, 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 he said, ugly words for ugly things. And so we should, when we look at the generation around us, we shouldn't be, I think we're so cozy to it. It's like, no, this is a wicked generation that doesn't believe in God. And And unless you understand it that way, you will not be given the same level of compassion that Jesus had for it, that we should have for it. You will not love the way that Jesus has asked you to love if you don't understand that people are going to hell and we are sent to help save them and rescue them from that fate. So I wanna just pray for you guys that you would have courage and you would have the ability to be innocent and wise at the same time. You know, we've preached this costless gospel as the church. And so when life gets difficult through pain or opposition of our core beliefs, people with a a neutral worldview will shrink back and give in. But I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says this, we make it our aim to be pleasing to God not pleasing to other people, not pleasing to your HR department, not pleasing to your boss. We make it our aim to be pleasing to God, to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, to value what God values. And so I pray for courage because, you know, the end of every virtue is courage. To act in truth in our world today has always required courage to match the cost. It's gonna cost. So, Why the gap between hearing and obeying? We don't have any fear of the Lord. And so we don't have any repentance. And so then we don't have any trust. And we've been lulled into a neutral worldview. And so we're not prepared emotionally to pay the cost of living like Jesus, of not just hearing what he has to say, but actually doing it. Last reason that God has been speaking to me on why I hear and don't do is the pride of life. The pride of life. You know, this passage reminded me of another passage in First uh, John. Here's what John has to say uh, in First John chapter two. He said, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. It's kind of a similar passage, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil are the three enemies of the Christian. And here John specifically is talking about the world. And he's saying essentially, you know, the world has a value system. The world has a whole way of of viewing value, of viewing what's important and what isn't important. And if if you want to be drawn away into the world's value system, then you will live by the pride of life. The pride of life is this. It's living with no higher authority than the authority of self. That's the pride of life. We did a series, I mentioned it actually earlier, we did a series on, um, on sexuality. This is like a year and a half ago, I think, a little, a little under a year and a half ago. And it was nerve wracking to do that series, especially in this town. It was just terrifying. I have to be honest with you guys. Um, our town has a history of like church splits and a lot of church splits have happened over the issue of homosexuality. And so I was like, you know, super, with every message, I'm like, how is this gonna be heard? And who's, how are they gonna hear it? And how do I say this? that, you know, and, and I think I, I think, 
look, I'm actually really proud of this series. You should go back and listen to it. I think I did a good job. There we go. Um, but I gave this, I gave this sermon on homosexuality, uh, specifically in the scriptures. And I didn't give a sermon on like, here's why homosexuality is wrong. The sermon that I gave was, how do you read the Bible? Because how you read it will influence all of your life. And Paul actually is a litmus test for your hermeneutic. So your hermeneutic, how you understand uh, the scriptures, how you understand or get truth out of the scriptures, that's your hermeneutic. Um, It really matters because you're gonna apply that same hermeneutic across the board. And if you don't listen to Paul here, you know, and it's inconvenient in 1 Corinthians chapter six or whatever, Romans one, you know, how are you gonna listen to him in Romans chapter eight? that has these soaring heights of what it means for identity to be in Christ. That's essentially the message. We had a mass exodus of young people from our church after this message. And you know, I was really curious. A lot of times people will leave the church and they won't talk to me. So even like, if I don't know you, I like will recognize you. And if I don't see you for a while, I'm like, I wonder if they left the church and I wonder if they're mad at me. Um, That's just like the insecurity of a pastor. So anyways, there's this kind of mass exodus. And I began to wonder like, why? you know, obviously I gave kind of an intense message and like maybe people will leave after this one too. Um, But like maybe I give an intense message and like I'm curious like what your reading of the text is. Like tell me about your hermeneutic. And so I asked some of their friends, some of their friends who still kept going to the church. I asked them, I said, hey, like what do you think their hermeneutic is? Like, do they read Paul differently? Do they have information about the first century sexual culture that I was unaware of? Or like, what is it? Um, and you know what, he, the, one of their friends, he said to me, he said, no, it's not about the text at all. They just have friends who are gay. So they didn't like what you said. Okay, so you have a hermeneutic still. Your hermeneutic just puts scripture lower than your experience and your friend's experience. So how you determine truth has nothing to do with the scriptures. It, your hermeneutic for life is I have friends who live this way, who had this experience. And so they become the filter that I read the scriptures through rather than the other way around. The pride of life. The highest authority in my life is my experience or my friend's experience. That's your hermeneutic. Just be honest about it. You're not a Christian. You follow people. Just be honest about it. The pride of life says all that I need for living a successful and meaningful life is right in front of me. All the wisdom, all the insight, all of the tools are found in my experience. So no submission is required to anyone besides me and my perception. In other words, I will build my life. You know what that is? That's Eve with the fruit, right? She sees the fruit. She doesn't just go like, okay, I'll take it on your word. I'll, I'll eat it. It says she sees it. It was pleasing to the eye and she thought it was desirable for gaining wisdom. So I'll eat it. In other words, she assessed it, the pride of life. I want that. I'm not gonna listen to God. I'm not gonna listen to what he had to say. I'm gonna listen to what I want. And the Bible would just simply say this. No, you need the divine voice in your life. You need instruction beyond your own experience or your friend's experience. You need God. The fear of the Lord is opposed to the pride of life because the fear of the Lord says, I need you. Why do we hear and not obey? Because we don't think we need to. And what I wanna instill in myself, this is my prayer, guys, I'm preaching to myself. This is what I wanna instill in us is that we would have a renewed sense of the need for God. I need you, God. 
You know, we had Matt come up and give a prophetic word last Sunday, and I just want to say, dude, that word is really, really good. Next time you have it, you can just share it with somebody else or something like that, and then we can, I I just don't want to, I thought, oh no, now we're going to have people rushing the stage every time I get up to preach. Um, But anyways, Matt, your word was so, so good, and it was this image that he had of he had been building his own life. He had been building a camp for his family. He'd been setting up tents. He dug his own well, and every now and then he'd go to the river of God. He'd get water, and he'd bring it back to the camp and pour it in the well, and he realized that the problem was that his own, his family's own waste was actually contaminating his water source, his well. And so he, he, the best he, you know, going and getting some of God and bringing it back and trying to build your life, going and getting some of God and bringing it back and trying to build your life, it wasn't working. And God was speaking to him, why don't you just move next to the river? Why don't you just build your camp next to the river? And God spoke to me through that word, man. He said, I felt like God was saying to me, you know what that is? That's the fear of the Lord. I'm afraid of building my life apart from you. I have to be close to you. So I want to end this message with the message from Moses to the people of God one more time. I would like you guys to stand and I'm gonna, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to be focused. And I wanna read this over to you, over you again. This is what Moses said. Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach, St. Sil. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. Now, Saints Hill Church, choose life so that you and your children may live. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.